Good afternoon. This is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. It is Friday, December 18th, and today I got to sleep in. The kids are off school. Uh, they stayed up late going to see uh, the Star Wars movie at 1.40 a.m., so I have got the the office to myself, and it's nice and quiet, and we have got an amazing show for you today. I have just been uh, spending time taking a, a look at uh, the book that we're going to be talking about this morning and also uh, the website uh, of the author's company, and uh, really, really some stunning work uh, in the field of uh, taking a look at how we interact with customers on a digital basis. So without further ado, let me introduce Brian Solis. Brian, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, it is morning. Uh, you said you are in Redwood City, California. Is that correct? That is correct. Great, great. Well, my grandparents lived in Palo Alto before it was fashionable, so we spent a lot of time when I was young uh, out in your uh, part of the world. So, uh, well, let's just dive right in. You know, you have written a bunch of books, and uh, what what our listeners love to hear is your a little bit of your personal story before we dive into the, the content uh, of your newest book. Well, yeah, my my personal story is is all over the place, and and maybe that's uh, a like uh, that's like a, a lot of your listeners, and maybe uh, maybe it's sort of not like it, <laughs> and 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 by that I mean, you know, I I went I went to college, I, I studied uh, economics, I also studied uh, journalism, uh, but I also you know I lived in California, I got the entrepreneurial bug, I I started you know companies, I've I've, I've jumped around to help a bunch of startups over over my career and this this goes back you know to the 90s and uh somewhere along the way i just was was finding over and over and over again that this rush of technology you know first going you know with enterprise hardware and then you know getting into the consumer realm that it was just not just changing business it was changing the world right and when you when things start to have that much of a dramatic impact, it's not just in how we do stuff; it's it's everything uh, down to human beings and how they are influenced, how they communicate, uh, you know, how they make decisions, how they're informed, and and I was inspired by that to the point where I just started researching it over and over and over again and publishing all of my insights uh, for free uh, on online, uh, which sort of built up an audience over the years, and that eventually translated into uh you know formal research uh which i published you know maybe two two to three reports a year uh, it also translated into books uh and also uh <laughs> something i didn't seek to do which was speaking about these things around the world uh and it has sort of come together in a way that i couldn't have planned for but i uh i couldn't imagine doing anything else well, it definitely takes on a life of its own. One of my favorite, uh, well, actually, there are a couple of your, your titles of books that you've written uh, that I really love, and one is Now is Gone. And it's interesting because it, it's a primer on new media for executives and entrepreneurs, but it was written in 2007. And and really, new media um, you know, really predated that by you know, certainly a decade. And, you know, I take a look at where we are now and, and how things really, you know, have changed yet again. And, and the other title that I absolutely love is The End of Business as Usual, because the problem is people do business as usual because it's comfortable. 
And you suggest in the subtitle of that book that you've got to rewire the way that you work to succeed in this this revolution that continues. And that that book was written in 2011. But we're going to be talking today uh, about your most current book, which has the very simple title of X. And I'm going to ask you to explain that. But this book focuses on the intersection between experience and design. And I, I've got to tell you that this couldn't be more timely in my own life because I am, I'm a serial entrepreneur and uh, you know, have just relaunched uh, a capability that I introduced back in 2007. Uh, my background is in the travel industry and, and the technology of uh, buyers and sellers uh, connecting through all different kinds of channels. And, and the internet is just one of those and, and mobile. Um, so, Today's discussion just really hits me right where I need to be because I believe I've got to stop what I'm doing and take a really deep look at what this book tells me to do. So why don't we talk about what led to this particular book? Because I think your last book was um, uh, on the future of business. What's the future? And changing the way businesses create experiences. So that, that sounds like it really set up the stage for this book. Well, yeah, you know, the first, thank you very much. I mean, you just sort of took me down memory lane and a lot of and that. And I, I left a few out, but I'll, <laughs> I'll let you fill in the blanks. <laughs> a lot of that just, yeah, I was thinking about, you, you, especially when you're you're throwing out the dates, I, wow, that that seems like yesterday and it also seems like a lifetime ago at the same same time. Well, first, on, on Now is Gone, I just want to give a little shout out to Jeff Livingston because that was uh, that was my first book and Jeff Livingston was kind enough to sort of invite me on that journey with him, and that was the book that just really launched uh, my my whole book book career. Uh, and it'll it'll all sort of come together here in a quick second. But with the end of business as usual, uh, that led to uh, what's what's the future of business, which had a, a, I, I also subtitled WTF, <laughs> and uh, which led to X. Um, so they were sort of this uh, one, two, three, uh, sort of in a series. And with X, I realized that you know, the future of business really was around uh, this sort of culmination of all of my, my research, which was how are people changing? How, are, how is that affecting uh, not just decisions and connections, but also how is it... Um, How's it shaping or reshaping expectations? Uh, what what is what's the idea of a brand to them? Um, what uh, what type of of products and services are they looking for? Are they looking for something that's is, is far more holistic, et cetera? And uh, I learned that yes, all of those things affect the future of of business to the point where businesses are going to have to change, which is not just to compete for this new customer, but also compete against these new types of companies that are emerging who understand these customers and get a blank slate to go after them. Uh, And I thought it was incredibly ironic at the same time that here I was sharing about this sort of future of consumerism and the future of business. And I was going to tell you about that story in a book. Uh, so I took, uh, I, I ate my own dog food. I, I, you know, I read the book uh, and went out and I studied my reader. Uh, and this is why it took three and a half years. I just figured that I should, I should go through the process I'm asking people to go through and see what, what I can learn. And I went and specifically studied uh, how people read and learn and use uh, their apps on their smaller screens. 
Uh, I learned about attention spans. I learned about um, how that applies to learning because you don't want to dumb anything down, but you still want people to learn. Uh, and I, I learned a ton about user experience, user interface, usability. So I took all of these mobile and software insights, and I thought the great thing to do, rather than just create a great digital book, would be to take those digital insights and apply it to paper. Uh, and so took this really crazy idea to, to the publisher and said, I think I want to build an analog app. I want to be able to show people that the, the book, when you hold it, is a physical manifestation of what the book is about. Uh, and sure enough, you know, it, 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 you reimagine sentences, you reimagine page design, you reimagine, you actually think you could swipe on the page, which is fantastic. I see great tweets and Instagrams all the time. So the whole point of this is that when you think about customers differently, you're inspired to think about what products and services could be like. And then more so, how would you reinvent the infrastructure of a business to design and reinforce experiences through every moment of truth throughout the customer lifecycle? Well, and I want to I wanna circle back to what you just said about the experiential nature of your book. And I, for those who listen to this show regularly, I'm going to let my listeners in on a secret. And that is my my interview style, which I always share uh, just before we start the show, is is very conversational. Which uh, again, if you've listened, you'll you'll know that. But what I typically do is I'm interviewing an author just because the book uh, is such a part of them that rather than creating questions ahead of time, I use the table of contents. And I have to tell you, although I, I got your book in the mail, uh, I forget uh, how long ago, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I looked through it and was very, very impressed, but I had forgotten about your table of contents. And, oh, my gosh, those of you who are listening, you have to go out and buy this book just to see the beauty of the experience that Brian has created in this. And, you know, certainly coupled with uh, the, the talents of his publisher and, and you know, the graphic artists who, who assisted with this. But the table of contents is an experience in and of itself. It's beautiful. It's colorful. It's clear. Um, you know, everything's on one page. Um, and, and it looks like buttons that you would see on a website. And he's absolutely right. I feel like I should be able to reach out and touch it and have that chapter pop up. So bravo on, on getting your point across to the publisher because, again, you were asking them to fundamentally change how they do business, right? They've got decades and eons of experience publishing books that – and I can tell you from lots of experience, I've interviewed over 400 authors, all the table of contents pretty much look alike. So uh, you have broken the mold. Wow. Well, okay. So I got goosebumps. Thank you very much. Uh, the, 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 yeah, the publisher was, I, look, I have to say it's very, very agreeable, very supportive of this process, but they also didn't have the internal expertise to apply what I had learned. So they were, kind enough to also trust me with the, the creation of the book. So we, we took it out of the publisher to design and develop it and then brought it back to them to bring into their supply chain to produce. And I'll tell you some really interesting stories, right? When you're, when you're looking at how do, you, how do you innovate in today's society against especially an over 100-year-old industry, right? Uh, we learned that because the shape of the book is is modeled after an iPad Air, uh, we wanted some some skeuomorphism, some you know, familiarity when you hold it, uh, and I wanted everybody to buy the physical book, not not the Kindle, not the iBook. 
because the book is the experience. And uh, we had to find new printing partners. Uh, the color saturation required a special kind of paper. And we had to find this whole new ecosystem to be able to support the production of this book so that it mm. wouldn't be a, a $50, $60 book. It would be a regular business price right. book. And you know, we learned the hard way. We had to make the book kept slipping. We learned a lot in the process, but you know, for one shipment that we had to get out to a very big uh, company that had a pre-order, we had to hand feed those pages to in to the bindery, uh, from from printing to the bindery in order to stop jamming <laughs> the press. Uh, oh wow! So, so it was crazy. And then back to the table of contents. So you know, I don't know if you notice this, but it's 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 meant to emulate your home screen on a smartphone. It's just sort of almost app driven. Um, yes. And it's all and, and the way that each one of those sections are uh, d- designed, uh, they're very encapsulated um, so that you don't, you don't have to keep reading. You could stop right there and get a full dose of, of a lesson uh, or you could keep reading, but there, even the, the way I wrote sentences was uh, designed to cater to the, the attention span, which, you know, goes in bursts. So the whole process was very exciting to mm-hmm. me. I, I wanted to quit probably a hundred times going through it. Uh, but the, it also became testament to what we all have to do. I think moving forward is to, we're all competing for relevance here and none of us are above it. And at the end of the day, the world is changing and, and I think we got to change along with it. We can either react or we can lead. And I think this is a time where a, a whole new genre of leadership can emerge. Oh, I think so too. And, you know, it's funny, I, I had mentioned I, I've been a part of the travel industry since uh, 1978, which was actually the first year that the travel industry uh, was invaded with technology, right? Uh, the retail travel uh, industry, that is. And and so what what emerged out of that was the technology that was adopted by travel agents in 1978 happened to have been the technology that was in use at American Airlines and United Airlines uh, to run the airline. So if you can imagine the cryptic nature of technology at that juncture was a series of, of um, numbers and letters that represented the request for, you know, is there a seat available, you know, on the flight from Chicago to Dallas, right? And then over time, you know, into the 80s, um, that technology was adapted so that you could also sell a hotel room. Well, you know, hotel rooms are are actually quite different than airline seats. Uh, You know, a lot more variation, a lot more experiential, um, you know, uh, from from the very most basic days in room all the way up to the JW Marriott and the Ritz Carlton, right? And and to represent that in a series of letters and numbers uh, was the way that travel agencies operated literally for decades. But they were able to sell product around the globe for hundreds and thousands of suppliers to tens of thousands of travel agents. And and it really was remarkable. But then what happened once the internet came? online is you still had all that same exact underlying technology, but you put a pretty face on it, right? So the proverbial (laughs) lipstick on the pig, right? And here we are nearly 30 years later and, and well, more than 30 years later. uh, And, and we still have all those same issues. And the, and my industry has never paused and done what you've done with this book. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm in the process with my latest venture of doing this, and that's why I said this is so timely. And I, I really do want to dive in, uh, you know, to the content of the book. So we, we talked a lot about the book itself. So <laughs> suffice it to say, if you're listening to this show and you've made it this far, please listen to the rest of it. But do go out and buy this book because it is transformational for your thinking, first of all, no matter what industry you're in. So let's dive right in. So the, the first uh, part of the book talks about what X is. So rather than me uh, feeding you that, why don't you just share with our audience the whole X concept? Yeah, so X, you know, it is meant to really teach us about the role of experiences in business relationships. Uh, and also in product design and service support, et cetera. It's everything about business. So the thing about it is that everyone will say and everyone will nod heads that, yes, we all agree, experience is important. We think the best businesses give the best experiences. And so then you start to talk to people and you try to peel that onion back. Well, tell me, tell me what it is that you think is a great experience or what about that company do you feel is a great experience? And it's all over the place. Uh, and one of the, you know, aside from the design, one of the things that was frustrating for me uh, was to better understand what the standards of what an experience is and should be. Uh, and there's no, not even definitions that are common across the board. And so I decided to take a very simple approach to say, if we all agree that experiences are the most important aspects of the future of business, uh, then let's just define an experience as an emotional reaction to, to a moment, right? So it's an advertisement. It's talking to a sales rep. It's calling customer support. It's opening the product. It's using the product, right? Emotional reactions in each of those moments today are sort of left to chance, you know, uh, and we don't necessarily track them per se unless there's some proactive movement from the side of the customer. So the book really just takes you backwards in order to move forwards and say, look, what if you could design that experience uh, in every one of those moments? And what if you could define what that experience would sound like if, when they all add up? And that is the lesson I wanted to sort of teach anyone in business, whether you're an executive or a, a chief marketing officer or an entrepreneur, is that you know, people are going to have and share experiences. And why not get proactive with designing them based on who people are, what they're trying to do, maybe a little bit of aspiration of who they want to be, uh, and sort of use the product and every moment of truth to, to reinforce that and, and nurture that and, and build a, a, a community that's, that's connected through wonderful experiences. Right. And, and you set the stage at the beginning of the book. Uh, first, you, you uh, share a great, great, great quote by uh, Albert Einstein, the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It's the source of all true art and science. And then you ask us to close our eyes for a moment and think about the last time you had a truly great experience with a company as a consumer, an experience that captured your heart your mind, and your, your spirit. So how do we convert that, right, to the, the thing that is on the hearts and minds, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're an executive, is, you know, clearly there is a lot of pressure for profitability. And so money still has to enter into that equation. And can we just deliver this beautiful experience uh, without finding a way to monetize that. And so the, the next chapter in the book is, is CS equals dollar sign. <laughs> you, uh, 
you you act absolutely set this up in the in the way that it was intended, and I that's why, that's why I'm laughing because I knew that's what people were going to say is that okay, yeah, I totally get it. You just made me feel something. I'm getting nostalgic. I totally am with you about experiences, but now tell me how we're gonna how we're gonna monetize that in our business. Um, so part of the part of the problem with with experiences today is I think we take them for granted. Uh, so right. before before we get into any like crazy experience architecture, you know, one of the one of the things that I ask people to do is to look at, you know, every every aspect of how someone does business with you contributes to that experience, right? And that could be your website. Uh, it could be uh, how your reps are trained to talk to people. It could be uh, the, the, your customer service or the lack thereof, right? If, is it automated? Is it a contact center? Right. Is it outsourced? You know, uh, is all of these things promote friction, right? You're in the travel industry. I'm sure you know you, you hear about all of the friction with airlines, oh, yeah. hotels. That whole industry. If you talk about an industry that's in the experience business, that's travel. Yet, even something like checking into a hotel is is just out of control, outdated, uh, and yes. painful. And so, there's a lot of things that exist in business today before we even get proactive that we have to even fix. And, and I think it just starts with a shift in perspective to say, look, it's not okay that this is the way we've done business. This, it's not okay that that's just the way it's always been done. Right. Uh, I think today, if you look at, especially in hospitality, the threat of Airbnb and Uber, and now you have these digital concierge services like Operator and Facebook M on the horizon, that you not changing, you not reducing friction, you not thinking about experiences is no longer good enough, right? It's not, you can't just compete for your shareholders and stakeholders on a quarterly performance basis and track all of your traditional metrics. The entire world is changing. Your, your idea of what success is and their idea of what success is are no longer in alignment. Uh, so there's, there's a radical sense of urgency to fix this stuff because today, you know, Airbnb, for example, is, you know, they went through a renaissance in their own branding because they figured this out early on, but they had the luxury of starting from scratch. Uh, and some businesses might say, well, I, 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 that's impossible. I tried to be creative once, but I was in meetings all day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that these companies are being funded to take out incumbents to deliver the experiences that these connected customers expect now. Uh, and so anyone who works in customer experience or marketing uh, or even strategy has to think about how do we expedite this? Because we are, we're either competing for the future or we are not. And that's what a, it's a little thing I call digital Darwinism, which technology and society evolve and, and we have a choice in how we do it. And so I, uh, I try to help people within, within the, the book, the, at least the first part of it sort of rally, you know, together to, to inspire them to recognize that if you're waiting for someone to tell you what to do, you're on the wrong side of innovation. Change comes right. from the middle. And it's 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 up to us, right? And you know it's funny because when I asked the question uh, about you know where where does money and profitability fit into this last week's show, we were talking about giving, right, and giving back. And there are companies that give back because it's a part of who they are, and there are other companies who give back because it's fashionable and it ticks a box with their board. Right, saying yes, you know, we've got this sustainability initiative, and 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 so I'm wondering whether there are people 
who embrace the experience, well, the experience economy, which uh, you know was made made popular actually uh, more than a decade ago. Was it Clayton Christensen who wrote that book? Uh, anyway, he, he introduced the whole the whole issue of experience in business. But I'm wondering, um, as you've gotten feedback from the book because it's been out uh, you know for a little bit now, whether people have decided that they're going to do this irrespective of the upfront investment and cost. Because in the end, it will deliver profitability because it's the right thing to do. And true innovation really does change industries. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I just found myself just sort of listening and nodding the whole, the whole time. You know, uh, <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, I'd be really worried if you were shaking your head no. <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. You know, so uh, the, the page after the one that says CX equals, equals a dollar sign, um, you know, the, it, it just says something simple. An, an entire page just only has these words. Is your customer experience really a priority? If not, you're paying a price. And there's a formula I introduced around ROI where the I stands for ignorance, right? Because there's a, there, there, there is math that you can apply today that shows you by not fixing the friction and by not thinking about what's possible for the customer experience to compete, you're actually losing money uh, or leaving money on the table. But either way, it's not going to your bottom line. Uh, and I learned, and because uh, while it's not in this book per se, the results of this is uh, in the book, but I do study at a hardcore level innovation and cultures of innovation, and I have to tell you that commonly uh, the best businesses uh, innovate by just simply shifting perspective, and this is the part that plays out in the book where I walk you through everyday scenarios so that you can see something and then see the same thing the way your customer sees it, and you, right. and you say, wow. Yeah. I never even thought of that. And so it's just a quick, quick examples of how innovation just sh is actually not about technology. It's actually just starting with a shift in philosophy and perspective and then using technology to enable that inspiration of which sparks innovation. That's how all of the best technologies are, are discovered. Right. Some pain and, you or know, opportunity. Yes, exactly. As we were talking about uh, my industry, which, uh, you know, again, we've been using technology uh, and uh, distributing products globally electronically uh, for decades before the internet even existed. And I, I just was uh, participating in a conference a couple of weeks ago. It's the top conference in the travel industry as it relates to technology. And they've institutionalized a, an innovation conference. And, and let me tell you my problem with that. I mean, I, I applaud them trying to highlight innovation, but they actually charge people to compete in this innovation thing. So, you know, I don't even know what it is. Let, let's say it's 10 grand for an entrepreneurial company to come and, you know, have five minutes on stage to pitch their stuff. But I saw precious little true innovation uh, in, in that uh, scenario. And, you know, again, they, they haven't taken the time, I don't think, uh, to really understand, you know, the other messages you have in the first section of this book. And, and the other two are the medium is the message and what you just shared with us about the gift of perspective. And I, I love that you call it a gift because really if we can pause, and, and that's the word that keeps coming to me, is we have to pause what we're doing working in the business long enough to actually work on the business. Oh, 
Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I mean, like we joked about earlier, I mean, meetings don't stop. Uh, emails certainly don't stop. And it's it's easy to get caught up in the routine. Um, what is difficult to do, though, is to stop it and to step back to say this is this is how we're going to do things differently. But without it, though, there's you can't you can't move forward. And I, I think a gift in perspective, uh, it's 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 wonderful and magical even that once you start to see things differently, you can no longer see things the way it was. And now you're not you it, you're insatiable. You cannot in any way, shape, or form follow routine. Uh, and I think you just have to get that bug. And the good news is, is that you're not alone. There are a lot of people with, you know, around you within your organization that are, that need to do the same thing too, because the grass is often not greener on the other side and you're going to, you have a choice in your career uh, or your business, you know, wherever you are to do something about it and to be the ones that authors like me write books about, uh, because I can tell you that as an analyst, certainly I study what great businesses are doing, but I also see what they're not doing. Right. Uh, and, and if I, if I keep, if I were to make decisions based on the case studies of other businesses, I would already be behind. I, I would, I would think that today, this isn't just a great time of, of, of innovation. This is a great time for, for, for people to actually write what the future is based on the chances that they take, the risks that they take. And we're not going to get anywhere by succumbing to the risk-averse cultures that many of us are used to. Right. Now, the the second part of the book, um, you start talking about nature versus nurture, and then you introduce a, an interesting term, which I w- would like for you to focus on, of I'm going to probably mispronounce it, skeuomorphism. And then you talk about when business meets design and the moments of truth that we come to. So can can you kind of encapsulate that section of the book for us? And do tell us what skeuomorphism is. Yes, skeuomorphism is a, is a very funny term, but it's a very real term. Um, it's actually an industry term in design that brings – uh, familiarity to something new to help drive adoption. So, for example, when the iPhone first came out, many of the apps in the iPhone had icons that, you know, the calendar was a desktop calendar. Your your camera was, you know, a lens. Your, your video app was a film strip. Uh, your address book was literally an address book. Uh, and that... It that still was, is. Yeah, it still <laughs> is. <laughs> And so that was that was meant to sort of drive um, adoption from the, the 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 older generations who know what all of those things are. So that's that's right. the school of of, of skewmorphism. Now, skewmorphism also works against you uh, in that in in what I talk about in the book that familiarity is a great thing and it sort of eases us into it. But you don't just have one audience of customers; you have many groups of customers uh, and some of those groups, a growing number of those groups, have no idea what a film strip is. They have no idea what an address book is. Uh, they don't even know what the floppy disk in Word is that you click to save all the time. They just oh, completely. That <laughs> save icon, right? And so I talk about this approach to to remind people that you're not you're not your customer. You know, in some ways you are, but that that number's increasingly small. This is why there's so much innovation in 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 startups today, is because they they have the gift of perspective. They see things fresh. They see they see things as they they are and aren't. Uh, and what and the best what we're doing is sort of iterating uh, based on legacy standards and metrics 
um, you know, and 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 standards, right? But we have to we have to make some really interesting decisions here about what we do moving forward in terms of design because there's iteration, which is doing the same things differently or better, right? There's innovation, which is doing new things. And then there's disruption, which is doing new things that make the old ones obsolete. Right. And we have That's choices. the one I love. <laughs> <laughs> and we have choices to make in that. And so if we take this school of thought around skeuomorphism uh, and, and, and just sort of apply it to our work, we'll just, we'll just see that at best we're iterating, right? And we also need to innovate. And that's, that's, that's perspective. That's seeing right. things differently in order for you to do things differently. Well, I'll tell you, you know, what, what I'm tackling in, in my industry is, is uh, completely cutting out steps of the process that we somehow think are natural and normal. So think about buying a ticket to your favorite uh, musician's concert, right? And, and you decide you're going to go to this concert. Um, and maybe you decide later today, uh, you know, that – maybe you're going to make a weekend of it and maybe, maybe you should get a hotel room and then, you know, or you know that the concert's going to go late or you're going to be drinking some wine and you don't want to be driving. Right. And so later you decide to go book a hotel room. Right. And then you go to your favorite, you know, whether it's Expedia or Orbitz or, uh, or Marriott.com, whatever. And, and so you have this separate step that you go do that. And what we're introducing is a do you want fries with that at the end of the ticket purchase, right? Why shouldn't it just say, hey, do you want to make a weekend of it, right? Or right. would you like to spend the night? And so – and you would think, like when I talk about this, you'd think, oh, surely someone's doing that. Well, no, because remember how I said the technology back in the 70s was all about this airline segment? Well, mm -hmm. they never, ever figured out that when you were actually looking for a hotel that you were looking for it close to something, right, close to the place where you're going to the concert, right? No, right. they sell you hotels in city centers and at airports. That's the way the systems are designed to deliver information. So we're fundamentally disrupting how that's been going on since 1978, right? And, and it's not easy, right, you know, to convince people that, that that's actually the way it happens. Um, so let, let's move on. Uh, your third section of the book starts off with uh, a term that we don't use a lot in, in the English language, which is the word rife, the circle of rife. What is that? <laughs> So now we're at the the, uh, the the part of the book where I talk about not only having a gift of perspective, but also getting the gift of, of empathy. Um, and this is something that is, is hard for businesses because they don't live their business the way their customers do. And, and that automatically creates distance. Uh, and empathy means that, it, well, in, in this case, I'm asking you to go through the journey as your customer and to document all of the areas of friction uh, that they, they undergo or ask your customers, you know, or different people who aren't even your customers to go through this. And what you end up doing is documenting this sort of journey map that shows everything that's broken or frustrating or areas that don't connect to one another or where people would abandon things. And I call that the circle of right. If it's just, it's just, allowing yourself to be open to everything that's wrong. Uh, and the more connected customers you get into this process, the more crazy the, that, that circle of rife is. Uh, right. and, it's, 
it's a way of showing you like, hey, here, here are some ways of which we can improve things right now without even getting super creative and proactive around experience architecture. Let's just fix these things and then talk about what the experience should be. So you continue on with, with the redo uh, of, of CX, and then you, you also talk about the grid. So w- what is the grid? <laughs> you know, the, the term uh, experience architect you know, some some of the better businesses in the world actually employ employ experience architects. Their job is to make sure that in any moment of truth, these experiences are are delivering as promised, uh, and that they're working together with one another. Uh, but it's still sort of a an abstract uh, term that and role that most businesses don't appreciate or understand yet. Uh, so in 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 this regard, I talk about the grid uh, as as a geek a little bit, um, where in the movies Tron. Uh, Inception, The Matrix, they all have uh, a character that has the name the architect uh, and uh, or or some type of architecture in Tron's case. The grid is basically a blank slate. In, in, in Tron, the grid is sort of this new world that's created to um, – it's, it's all digital, uh, and it's 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 an optimized city and, and, and gaming system that was designed from scratch to do just what it does, but it's optimized and beautiful to do that. Uh, someone had designed that, and so I, I use sort of the metaphor of the grid as a way of thinking through, now that you just went through the circle of life, um, what if you were a startup and you were going to try to disrupt your own business? What what would you design that that customer journey like today, knowing their differences, appreciating who they are. Uh, don't think about what you could borrow from you know, your, your existing legacy platforms, but just what would it look like? And the grid, right, was, right. grid was just a simple, um, just that. It's just a graph that you could draw on of, from scratch uh, that would then, as you turn the pages, you, you see it build up into something a little bit more elaborate and modern. Right, and so... The whole next section, you, you talk uh, really about design uh, in, in a very deep way of digital first, design for humans, and then uh, yet another equation, BX plus UX plus CX equals X. And then you finish with the human algorithm and, again, how we're responding uh, to design. So uh, I'm, I'm going to have you just focus in on that equation. So give us a glimpse of what that means. Yeah, well, you know, it's it, it was a simple formula to remind people that there are some disparate efforts that are happening within the organization today that are trying to make the brand more relevant or make the online experience uh, better. Uh, and there's there's even efforts underway to make customer service and support better. Um, but they're all operating independently. I mean, it's just the nature of how businesses are designed. Right. It's, not, it's not the nature of how startups are designed, right? But traditional businesses are built on these models that are 50, 60 years old uh, that essentially align with the funnel mentality. Uh, so each one is responsible for sort of catering to uh, the customer, but not necessarily handing them off or nurturing relationships. And what I what I try to do with that formula is to say, look, the future of experience is BX, which is brand experience. You still have to figure out you know, what is your brand promise to a customer that values a brand or business differently today. Um, you have to still go through uh, the idea of UX, which is user experience, applying sort of these right. human-centered uh, and these design-centric approaches that make things seamless, in, in some cases invisible, just absolutely intuitive, natural, and, and delightful. But they're 
often in the organizations stuck in the you know, on the web team or the design team, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm asking you to bring them into this core team. And then CX, those responsible for customer experience, uh, whether it's the journey, uh, whether it's these touch points, whether it's how they all work together, whether it's customer support or call centers, it's just reimagining the role that these things all play together. So BX, UX, CX, the thing that they all share is the letter X, which just simply means experience. So if you put these things together and you're thoughtful about aspirationally what it could be uh, to today's customer, tomorrow's customer, how would you redesign your organization? How would you rethink your product strategy? And more so, how would you think about the entire journey uh, from an experiential standpoint so that everything is reinforcing this vision of architecture that, that you have? Right. And so you, you then lead, you know, uh, jumping off of the word journey, you lead into the whole concept of, of mapping uh, this out and, and uh, you know, the whole issue of the experience map and the journey map. And then I'm going I'm to jump right to the sixth section of the book uh, because you're talking now about the persona. You actually start out uh, chapter six of holy persona and storytelling and storyboarding. Uh, so taking all of that learning and all of that observation and, you know, putting yourself in the, the shoes of the customer. And now you're actually beginning the, the true design process. And I, and I think what uh, I take away from this is that most people have actually started designing way too early um, without going through this issue of perspective and observation. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right, which is, look, in, if, in, in a perfect world, we could just press pause and go through all of these steps. Um, but what, what you're now starting to, to unravel here with the book is the idea that here's how to do it right. Um, and we we take from and believe believe it or not there's this, there isn't a common standard around this approach so this is why I had to borrow from for example user experience and uh, usability I had to borrow from human centered design I had to borrow from storyboarding uh, and Disney uh, because all of these things are the right things to do in order for you to see people uh, right. appreciate appreciate who they are uh, and and the world that they live in and what they're trying to do um, the the way that they go through life like the technology that they use the expectations they have how they're influenced et cetera what they value uh, and so the idea of storyboards you know is real real eye opening experience because it talks about you know people and human beings uh, and not audiences or markets or segments uh, and it then really allows for you to empathize with them and more so design a journey that's absolutely natural and relevant. Uh, so once you start getting into journey mapping, which you know, one of the mistakes a lot of businesses make is that they map the journey as it exists today and find ways to improve it, which is fine, <laughs> right. right? But the closest yeah, you'll get Incremental. Exactly. Is you, get, you get iteration instead of innovation. Um, and which, which now we, we get into persona, we understand who people are, we're now getting into the whole idea of putting that into, you know, translating it from storyboard to basically a, a, something, I, I don't even call it a journey map, I call it an experience flow and, and introduce to you ways that, for example, companies like Philips or Lego or Sephora are thinking about it, where it's not just a journey where you have these touch points and they all stitch together, it's we have this vision for what we want people to think and do and share and how in ways that match their lifestyle. And here's how this whole thing plays out 
throughout now, every moment of truth, and the entire journey. Uh, and, and, and by the way, the last thing about that is a lot of these businesses are then so inspired, so moved by this whole process. They're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we've been doing business with, you know, looking at shareholder, stakeholder value without looking at this first. Right. They change the infrastructure of their business to now support this little at first, but larger over time. And, and it does, you know, go back to what we were talking about earlier, which was deliver on the revenue, the ROI. There's significant ROI in this and, it's just a matter of hard work. <laughs> right, exactly. And and so you, you kind of jumped ahead of talking about experience flow. And then the, the last two sections of the book, um, you talk about X being alive. And, and you also talk a bit about Apple. And, you know, I always remember uh, the one of the first TED Talks I ever watched was Simon Sinek on, on you know, his – whole, uh, he calls it the golden circle, which is with having why at the middle, why you're doing things, and then getting people to buy into that why instead of the what and the how. And, and uh, you know, I think that that's really at the heart of experience, if you can understand why people are doing things. I mean, people rent a hotel room when they're going to a concert so that they can have a better overall experience of being safe and not getting a DUI on the way home or having a night away from the kids or, you know, just being able to enjoy their friends, right? And and even people selling the ticket to the event aren't understanding the whole picture, and, and that's what's broken. And, and so looking at that whole experience and looking at how Apple approached things is, is you know, kind of at the heart of what drives me. I'm a longtime Apple you know, uh, aficionado of all of their products since, you know, the early 80s. Um, so so tell me, you know, just uh, we only have a few minutes left here before we get to the last chapter, which uh, I love the, the chapter name. Um, so talk to us a little bit about X being alive and, and about Apple's universe. Yeah, you know, um, Apple is one of the companies in when I asked, you know, which are the companies that you think deliver a great experience, Apple was consistently uh, named. Uh, what was uh, pre, most... pre the death of Steve Jobs? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he he was alive when when I started this book, uh, and and uh, unfortunately not, you know, when 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 I completed it. But he was he had since passed since when when I got to this chapter, uh, and it, he still was Apple was still sort of listed as the company that delivered the best experiences. And, and I thought it was very interesting in that he was also um, one of the reasons why, when I asked people, hey, why do you think Apple, how does Apple give great experiences? What is it about Apple that you think is, is, is a great experience? And the, the answer was often a non-answer. You know, it was great products. Oh my gosh. You know, I love my phone. Steve Jobs was, you know, an incredible and visionary. Um, so none of them were sort of tangible answers to what, why Apple was a great experiences. So I figured since Apple was the number one company that had come up over and over around experiences, uh, I decided to dedicate an entire chapter to seeing if I could unravel the mystery that is Apple's experience. Uh, and I took an iPad uh, as as the specific product to look at because, uh, my goodness, you could dedicate a whole book if you look at everything and how how everything works together. But uh, I I immediately started to find um, patterns. So in how they presented the iPad, uh, how they 
obviously knew who they were trying to sell it to. And it wasn't just one person. It was several different types of scenarios that were all contextually based or intention based. Uh, the, 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 the words, the design uh, that were used were all just, just very magnificent and very intentional. Uh, and then to the commerce aspect of it, say I was ready to buy it, uh, just all reinforced, all simple, definitely understanding how today's customer shops. And then you know, I sort of played it out like, well, what if I didn't want to buy it online? Let's say I was moved to go to the store to learn more about it, to hold it. And then I talk about the strategy of the store design. Uh, I, I, I found things around uh, – job descriptions uh, for people who work uh, in the Apple store. You, you really start to see this common thread throughout everything right. they do. And from there I go to the, uh, uh, the, the box that, you know, I tell the story about how uh, there, there was for the iPad and the iPhone and every product, there's someone whose job it is to open boxes uh, to, to align that experience with the overall story arc that I started to identify uh, in, in this whole thing. And, even to the the genius to uh the usage uh and you know basically long story short i i show how a lot of this was uh, driven that there was an obvious in uh, an intentional approach to experience architecture where someone thought this through that someone was probably Steve Jobs but that every aspect of it was defined and connected against this story arc that was obvious. Uh, and it was fascinating to me that it was really the first time, at least that I had seen, someone unravel why Apple had built a great experience and how they did it and how it all worked together. And so the last page of the, that chapter is an experience map that shows uh, Apple's universe, not just for the iPad, but ultimately you could see how it plays into the greater universe. Right, right. So you end the book with a chapter called This is Water. And and I've got to tell you, when I look at that, I mean, I actually talk uh, about innovation and, and disruption being the air that I breathe because as – as a CEO of a technology company and and as a technologist in my industry, um, you know I believe that it, it has to be that basic uh, that that has to be the thing that drives me, right? And and so, what what is this is water to you, and how does it bring this book um, you know to a close and and bring this message home? The thing I find often in, in business books um, are that they're either incredibly inspirational uh, and you know when you take when you take out the elements that they're, they're teaching you um, they basically just sort of wrap up the same things with, you know under the same cheerleading but it, they're hard to they're, they're hard to make actionable um, and then on the other side there's there's books that are incredibly actionable but they lack sort of this this human this human voice and feeling to them, uh, so they're hard to, they're really hard to get through. Uh, so what I tried to do was um, make something that was actionable, but also uh, inspirational in that we're not going to do any of this without people who read this book and actually go and, and try to do things differently. And this is water was I thought a way to close the book that said, hey, I'm I'm one of you too. I I'm not just telling you what to do. I'm doing this as well and Here's here's one way that I inspire myself, uh, and it was based on David Foster Wallace's um, Kenyan College commencement. I think it was the only time the late novelist ever talked about his views on life, and basically it's a story about 
fish in a fishbowl <laughs> that kind of like the air you breathe in terms of innovation. Right. That, you know, they were passing another fish and one fish said, hey, how's the water? And they said, water? Uh, and it was because they just sort of took for granted their 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 world, their ecosystem. They just floated right. around it and did their thing. And it was just a nice way to remind people, like, once you start questioning everything, once you start to see opportunities for innovation, you understand that everything, you're, you're not just going through life. Everything around you can be changed or disrupted uh, or improved. And that's that's what the chapter is meant to do is just sort of remind you that this this is water uh, and to appreciate it, but also understand that people go through it differently than you. And this is a time to really rethink what what's possible to improve it for everyone. Well, Brian, thank you so, so much for sharing your book with us today. And again, the book we've been talking about is X, The Experience When Business Meets Design. Brian, where can people learn more about you and if they would like to have you come and speak to their organization uh, about this whole concept, what's the best place to find you? Well, they uh, they can find me at briansolis.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Brian Solis. The book is xthebook.com, but really everything just sort of funnels around briansolis.com. Great. Well, Brian, thank you so much for sharing with us. And, uh, you know, I would love to circle back with you and talk uh, about some of the things that I'm trying to tackle. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, just am really, really anxious to, uh, again, I'm, I'm kind of in a pause on, on my, my company's development where I think that if I can interject some of these things, uh, that I'm going to have a dramatically different outcome. And I, I just, again, encourage folks to go out and uh, get a hold of this book, and, and over the holidays, while you've got some downtime, uh, you know, take take time for that pause because I, I think it's really, really necessary. Brian, have a fabulous weekend, and again, I, I really look forward uh, to reconnecting with you. Likewise. Thank you so much. I very much enjoyed this. My pleasure. And uh, for those of you who'd like to learn a little bit more about the Executive Girlfriends Group, just check out executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. We have a public Facebook group where we uh, announce our new shows every week. And then also we have a private uh, group where our members can uh, interact with one another. And I just so appreciate uh, all of you who have been listening uh, over the course of the years. This is our eighth year of the show. And uh, I just, I so enjoy it. And you guys are all a gift to me. So thank you so, so much. Have a great weekend.